Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to Wild Card Weekend. The Rays are playing the Guardians. Seattle is back in the playoffs against Toronto. You've got the Phillies and the Cardinals. And of course, my San Diego Padres taking on DeGrom, Scherzer, and the Mets. Bet Online has you covered with all of the best odds, props, and parlays for baseball's playoffs. You can use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is October 7th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in, however, And whenever it is that you may be listening, if any of y'all are ready for some football action this weekend, there's going to be Bengals and Ravens, there's going to be Cowboys and Rams, there's going to be Raiders in Kansas City, there's going to be a bunch of great NFL games, fun college football, and we're going to talk about all of that coming up with Brandon Lang at the end of the podcast today. There's one sport that matters to me, and that is Major League Baseball. It's wildcard weekend. There's at least eight wildcard games instead of two. There might be up to 12, and my beloved San Diego Padres are playing in the playoffs for the first time since 2020 when they had a three-game wildcard series, and I'm going to nerd the bleep out about the San Diego Padres today. And because I'm going to nerd out about the San Diego Padres, let's play their 2021 rap anthem courtesy of 619 San Diego legend Rob Stone. I 
just gotta play it, yeah. So if you want football talk, it's coming up at the end. Brandon Lang's going to join us. We're going to get set for everything going on with the football weekend. Call it our week five and a half gambling preview because it's week six college football, week five NFL, five and a half. That's coming up later. We're going to talk Padres today. And I'm going to nerd out about the Padres because this is the one sports team that I still hold an emotional connection to. And for those of you who are new to the podcast I'm 21 years old. I'm from San Diego, California. I live in Sacramento now. I'm working as a podcaster and a radio host. And my one true allegiance left is to San Diego and the San Diego Padres. It's the one team that I grew up rooting for that I still feel an emotional connection to. I always quote this uh, phrase from Ice Cube, which is, you gotta love the place that you come from or else you're gonna be miserable. And... There is this wonderful connection I still have to San Diego through the Padres. And of course, anytime we talk about this, we got to talk about the San Diego sports curse. Because the San Diego sports curse is just as bad as Cleveland, except what the San Diego sports curse teaches you, where with its Cleveland, it's like, oh darn, we're going to get close and blow it, and we're going to be lovable losers who know that we'll never get a championship. With San Diego... The San Diego sports curse teaches you, you have no chance of winning, your teams will never amount to anything, and by the way, all the people that you ever love are going to die, and your teams are going to leave you. San Diego sports curse gets dark real quick as soon as you start diving into the the history of San Diego sports, because they haven't won a championship since 1961 in the city of San Diego. San Diego has won zero Super Bowls, zero World Series, zero NBA championships. Their basketball team left in 1984. That's the Los Angeles Clippers that were originally the San Diego Clippers. Bill Walton, San Diego icon, used to play for the Clippers. Donald Sterling moved the team to Los Angeles in the 1980s. San Diego hasn't gotten a basketball team since. Football, Chargers, made the Super Bowl in 1994. To this day, I believe over 20% of that Chargers team has died, and that would be most of them before the age of 60, which is much higher than the average rates for even NFL players in terms of early deaths from that 1994 San Diego team. The greatest Charger in the history of San Diego sports, Junior Seau, grew up in Oceanside, San Diego, went to USC, drafted by the Chargers, played 14 years of a Hall of Fame career with the Chargers. Junior Seau became the face of suicide and concussions and CTE in the NFL when he killed himself at 42 years old following the end of his career, and Junior Seau ended up finishing out his career as a San Diego icon who also died young and became the face of concussions and CTE and brain damage among NFL players after his career. For the San Diego Padres, they have the worst winning percentage of any team in baseball since they entered the league. They made a couple World Series before I was born. Tony Gwynn is also Mr. Padre, born in San Diego, went to San Diego State. Tony Gwynn played his entire career with the Padres, got statues, Hall of Fames. Mr. Padre, Tony Gwynn, and then he ends up dying in his 50s and becomes the face of uh, oral cancer and chewing tobacco culture, which is now no longer a, a huge part of baseball. It's still part of baseball, but becomes the face of that after dying uh, from oral cancer in his 50s and and him being a, a lost son who dies in San Diego uh, right after Junior Seau's death. And 
the icons of San Diego sports have died. And this is a really dark part of the history of San Diego sports. But San Diego sports curse, the Padres didn't make the playoffs my entire memorable lifetime. I was five years old when the Padres made the playoffs in 2006. Didn't make the playoffs my entire childhood. They made the playoffs again when I was 19 years old. It was the pandemic year. They delivered an amazing comeback victory for the coolest moment of my professional, of my rooting interest sports lifetime. And this also came after in 2016, the Chargers left San Diego and moved to Los Angeles. And the Chargers were San Diego's team. There was a fun graphic that comes up about the most loved sports team in San in California by technicality is the Chargers because Los Angeles has had a rotating fan base. San Francisco and Oakland have two teams up there. San Diego was the Chargers. The Chargers were that city. San Diego still has an affection for the Chargers. It's just not the same as it once was. And I'm the person who will stand up on a table and say first and foremost, should not spend public finances on new sports stadiums. That, that's not what taxpayer dollars are for. There are much more important things than rah-rah community. That's not what government funds should go towards. And at the same time, the fact that they weren't willing to privately fund a stadium and move to Los Angeles and be dirt cheap and get no rent for that team was something that was just like, oh, okay, now San Diego's inferiority complex is starting to step up a little bit. And I'm so glad that I don't root for the Chargers anymore. I grew up rooting for the Lakers as well, but this was after Kobe Bryant was winning championships for the Lakers. When Kobe won his uh, last championship in 2010, I was, uh, my dad was a Lakers fan. So like kind of by default, you're supposed to be a Laker fan. And I thought there were only eight teams in the NBA back then. I was like, there's Orlando, there's Denver, there's Utah, there's Cleveland, there's uh, Boston, and that's about it. That's how many teams I thought were in the NBA. Uh, and then the Lakers were terrible for the rest of my childhood. The Lakers made two playoff appearances in 2011, 2012, then didn't make the playoffs my entire time rooting for the Lakers, and now I don't root for them anymore uh, just because the emotional connection died when they traded away all of the baby Lakers who sucked, but I grew to love because they were the team that I was watching in high school and middle school was the terrible teams with Lonzo Ball and D'Angelo Russell, et cetera, et cetera. And so because I always root for losers, I love losers now. I love when Kansas is 5-0 and and they're going to play Iowa this weekend. I love when Patrick Beverly stands on a table and chucks his jersey and cries because they won a play-in game in Minnesota when Minnesota has only won two playoff series in their entire franchise history. Like, I think that losers in sports who are basically minor league franchises are awesome. Hence the fact that I live in Sacramento and work covering the Sacramento Kings, a team that hasn't made the playoffs since 2006. The Padres have had one playoff run my entire memorable lifetime, and it was in 2020, and it was in a pandemic year, and it was a great source of joy, and they've delivered the greatest moment of my of my sports childhood was Fernando Tatis pimping that bat flip to beat the St. Louis Cardinals. And now the Padres are back in the playoffs again, and they've spent a shit ton of money. They've gotten to the playoffs. I said at the start of the season, I just want them to make the playoffs. I'm like, just get me in there and it will be a cool moment and I will get excited about it. And I am hanging on to that promise I made back in March when I said, look, I don't have the same 
desire to watch baseball anymore. I've grown up. I've realized that life exists beyond sports. For those who don't know, I was very like socially isolated as a kid. Sports were kind of my escape hatch. That's why I started doing a podcast after I graduated high school. And three and four years later, it sounds like this. And we're partnered with Believe. And it's fostering a love where I've recorded 1,054 podcasts as of today on this Take It Easy feed, plus a whole nother 200 elsewhere. And I just love this process so much because sports talk gives me a chance to have these long-form conversations. And all of this is a long-form way of talking about San Diego sports because the fact that the Padres are in the playoffs is something that I will not take for granted. And I said, just get me to the playoffs at the start of the season. I don't care about beating the Dodgers. When I was a child, I was obsessed with beating the Dodgers. And because the Padres missed the playoffs every year, my rooting interest in the playoffs was to root against the Dodgers. And I know there's a lot of San Diego people listening to me right now. Y'all know that feeling where... In 2018, when Yasiel Puig hit the walk or the go-ahead homer in Game 7 against Milwaukee, I was just like distraught on my couch. When, when the Dodgers won a Game 3 in the NLDS against Washington, I punched a door in my college room for a team that I don't even like. A team that I just dislike in the Dodgers. I punched a door over the Dodgers winning a meaningless Game 3, and they ultimately lost that series anyways. Like, that was the weird rooting interest. And I used to be so obsessed with beating the Dodgers, hating the Dodgers, because that's what San Diego's identity is partially drawn from. It's drawn from this inferiority complex that if you know about it, you can identify with it, where San Diego is always viewed within, not always, we don't do it, but San Diego is viewed nationally within the context of Los Angeles. San Diego is everything Los Angeles is not. Kind of like how with the Cleveland sports curse, um, if you've ever seen the 30 for 30 on it, they're like, Pittsburgh was this sprawling city with champions in baseball and football, and uh, they had the steel industry, and then Cleveland ended up hitting the back burner and the decline of Cleveland as a city is correlated to the decline of Cleveland sports in the 1960s and 70s. And you can point to something similar in San Diego, whereas industry moves to Los Angeles. Los Angeles is the second most populated city in North America. Los Angeles is Hollywood. Los Angeles is industry. Los Angeles is this gigantic sprawling economy in the in the I guess the country at large and San Diego is the eighth largest city in the United States and people just think of San Diego as an afterthought if you're thinking about largest cities in America you will list off like 15 before you get to San Diego and part of that is national perception of San Diego as just being a city below Los Angeles and if you live in Sacramento, it's the same thing with the Bay Area. If it's Cleveland, it's similar to Pittsburgh, Michigan State to Michigan, that inferiority complex that kind of exists within your city and becomes a part of your identity because it's a similar to like the loser mentality in sports, like teams that are long suffering, like the Jets. Jets fans find camaraderie in being losers and being losers together brings out that sense of community that exists in sports fans. There's been uh, sports psychology books that have been written on this all over the place. It's super interesting about how bands of losers rally together around being losers and find the sense of community in sports because ultimately that's what sports are. They, at its dumbest level, sports are emotional chemical reactions within our body 
to find groups of communities that we can be parts of and feel like we're a, a part of, even if we're not, even if we're just giving money to a corporation. It gives us a sense of community and belonging, and that is doubly so when you're talking about your hometown and the city that you come from. And again, I'm going to stand up on the table and say, don't spend taxpayer dollars on that. It's a great feeling. It's not worth spending taxpayer dollars on it to build stadiums for billionaires. And at the same time, there's that sense of community and belonging that comes from your hometown. And I don't root for the Chargers anymore. As I say consistently, I'm a five-year recovering Chargers fan. If you or someone you know suffers from the narcotics of being a Lions fan or a Falcons fan or a a long-suffering fan who is just waiting for something good to happen, there's another way. You can give up the narcotic. It might take a year. It'll be worth it in the long run. I've found love in Patrick Mahomes, and I'm a better person for it, especially because Patrick Mahomes gets to deny the Chargers every year. There's that little bit of petty that still exists. I'm just a better, more mature person because I have that perspective of not tribalistically being passed down the pain of being a Chargers fan. But the tribalism of being a char- of a Padres fan, love it. Even though the Padres should probably change their name because their mascot is a colonizer and they ring a mission bell after striking people out in the ninth inning, and we should probably not have that as the Padres logo. But even still... That's the fandom I will still connect with because it's San Diego and because it's the baseball team that I grew up watching. And yeah, it's cool that they have Juan Soto and it's cool that they have Manny Machado and it's cool that they have Fernando Tatis. And we talked about the same idea with Ryan Cohen, which if you're a Padres fan and you follow Ryan on Twitter, you know that connection. You know that feeling of what being a San Diego sports fan reflects like. It is community it is rooting for a long-suffering team but it's baseball so it's regional identity and that's especially true in baseball which is not a national sport anymore by any stretch of the imagination it is very much a regional sport and that regional pride that comes from not just the only major professional sports team in san diego but also being a team in san diego that is a specifically regional sport i think that's the coolest thing in the world and when we were talking to Ryan, uh, this was right after the Juan Soto trade in August, and I talked about how I was back home on vacation the day that Juan Soto made his debut with the Padres after the trade, which at the time is the biggest trade in the history of baseball, according to many people, and that first day, I don't know how many people remember this who are baseball fans or San Diego sports fans, but the first inning of the first game, they sold out the stadium in Petco Park in San Diego. Fans were on their seats cheering. Mark Grant, who's been calling Padres games since before I was born, basically said, I've never seen this before in the first inning of a Padres game. And the Padres went, um, basically they got walked a couple times, hit a double, And then Brandon Drury, who was traded for them, came up to bat and hit a grand slam in the first inning of the first game after he and Juan Soto and Josh Bell and Josh Hader got traded for, hit a grand slam. And I was sitting there with my grandparents watching that moment, and I thought to myself, that's the coolest sports moment I've had since Patrick Mahomes' playoff game against the Buffalo Bills. And this is just a regular season baseball game. And that's the coolest sports moment I've had in like seven months. 
and before the Mahomes one probably goes back to way before the pandemic days, like the, the, the Fernando Tatis home run where he pimps the bat flip and then that ends up being the cover of MLB 2K or MLB the show the next year with Tatis bat flipping in the playoffs. Like, not since that moment did I then have a moment as cool that came with the Padres and that grand slam by Brandon Drury. And the Padres might flame out of the playoffs in the first round. They might lose to the Mets the first two games and the season will be over. And if that's the case... And there's not like a moment that captures us because the Padres have this like magical comeback or someone hits a grand slam or whatever it is. Like if we don't have that moment, that Drury grand slam is going to be the moment I remember from the season. And again, I've disconnected from sports in a very healthy way as I've gotten older. I don't sit down and watch all these football games. There's no way in hell I'm watching Colts and Broncos on a Thursday night. Um, I've disconnected from watching... Padres games I I think I watched no more than like 10 to 11 games this season but just followed along with what was going on because I've wanted to do other things with my time I want to make a podcast series I want to enjoy time with the relationships that I've learned to foster and grow and love Uh, I want to spend time doing comedy I want to spend time writing this book on the San Antonio Spurs that we're doing I want to read I want to write I want to take time to do all these different experiences and see these different things with my youth And I've learned to disconnect emotionally from sports. It's not perfect. I've connected emotionally with Patrick Mahomes. I'm furthering this career by doing a podcast every day where we talk about long-form issues like abuse in women's sports and also do silly stuff like like play a D&D football game like we did with Blake Jude on Thursday. Like Working at this craft is something I enjoy as well. And there's still a space for sports and sports talk in my life. It's just way healthier than three years ago when I was punching a door because the Dodgers won game three of the playoffs against the Nationals. And it's way healthier than in 2020 when I'm yelling like a crazy person when Fernando Tatis pips, pimps that bat flip and I'm freaking out and trying to like lose my mind when the Padres are losing to the Cardinals in the wildcard round. And I just am watching the standings so closely. And I've disconnected from that because it's made me a healthier, more well-rounded, and just better person. Like, disconnecting from sports emotionally has made myself a better person. It's the thing that works for me. And I skipped out on much of the regular season this year, but I got the moments. I got the moments that carry with me, that give me the emotional reaction where I'm sitting with my grandparents and I'm like, They've lived in San Diego for 70 years, and they watch the Padres games most nights now in their older age, and I'm like, that's a pretty damn cool moment, and that's the moment I'm going to remember from the season, and I'm hoping that I get something like that this weekend. I'm willing to like free my schedule on Friday night, Saturday night, and possibly a Sunday night to go berserk and put emotional stability into this incredibly stupid thing that is professional baseball incredibly stupid to invest emotional stability into it and yet it's emotional it's hard to explain and I'm doing my best to explain it here when talking about the San Diego sports curse and Tony Gwynn dying and Junior Seau dying, and all of your teams leaving you, and the process I had to go through to quit the Chargers, and how I've become a better person because I don't root for the Chargers anymore, and all of the emotional growth of years from going from a socially isolated kid who was just known as the sports guy, 
And so that's where he drew way too much of his identity from and watching hours and hours of sports talk and live events and really just wasting his childhood because it was a coping mechanism for stress and trauma and depression. Like going from being that person to where I am now, a thousand podcasts and just learning to do sports talk, wanting to pursue a career where I make $75,000 a year talking about sports, which is the dream. You can always support our dreams with all the links in the description to this episode as well. We're not quite at that goal yet, but we're getting there thanks to all of your guys' support. And like going through the emotional growth of being a kid from Ocean Beach Point Loma and being super obsessed with sports, being socially isolated, dealing with a lot of depression in San Diego, and then going on to leave, establish myself, have self-confidence and self-growth and emotional maturity and all sorts of stuff that just, I look back at, I was talking about this with my friend the other day, like just looking back at the person I was when I was 17 and 18 and just hating myself just hating the person that I was, how much I cared about sports and how much it just dominated my life. And all of that and all of that emotional growth is something that is just really emotional. Again, it's hard to articulate into words. And so I just want to take the time to talk about it here on a podcast across 30 minutes. And hopefully there's some sort of emotional connection between you and your sports team. If you're a Padres fan listening, which Hopefully there's a lot of you who who tune in from San Diego. I know some of my homies from from high school listen to this and some of the people here in the database of 200 people are from San Diego and are getting excited for the playoff game. Like if you have some sort of connection to this, I hope you feel it as well and I'm just I'm super excited to watch the Padres play a playoff game. And that's the thing I said at the start of the year. If you just get me to the playoffs, I'm back in. I'm not going to invest emotionally to the point where it's unhealthy. It's not worth it. I'll watch the 10 games a year that I feel like are important or if it's just on against the Dodgers like in the middle of July and I'm not doing anything. But you give me these three games in the wild card against the Mets. You give me games with stakes and the storylines that I know and care about and I'm in. And a big part of that is that baseball has no stakes. Like regular season baseball is just meant to fill entertainment time and it makes money And it's the reason baseball won't shrink the regular season down to any number less than 162. There's just no stakes to regular season baseball, but I love playoff baseball because baseball goes from having no stakes in the regular season to all of the stakes all at once with playoff baseball. This used to be even more of the case when it was one game wild cards, and I'm so in on baseball because it was my first childhood love and they got me, but I'll only care for the playoffs. And I'll care if you make Juan Soto a San Diego Padre. And I'll talk about that for a week. And I will get the amazing moment of Brandon Drury hitting that grand slam in the first game with Juan Soto and getting to freak out and sit there with my grandparents and have my coolest sports moment of the last two years. That's the reason you emotionally invest. That's the reason you invest hours of time. It's the reason why we think a championship will be the end-all be-all. But in my mind... Brandon Drury's Grand Slam is the end-all be-all because all of this is emotional connections. And playoff baseball has such fun stakes to it. Like, playoff baseball is so chaotic because the worst teams in the history of baseball still win one out of every three games. And the best teams in the history of baseball only win two out of every three games. Which means we're talking about the best teams and the worst teams ever, there's like a 20% marginal difference between the two teams, which means everyone is super close to each other and playoff baseball is an absolute crapshoot. 
and eight different teams have won the World Series in the last eight years. If you go uh, 2014 Giants, 2015 Royals, 2016 Cubs, 2017 Astros, 2018 Red Sox, 2019 Washington, 2020 Dodgers, 2021 Braves, seven years, seven different champions. This year would be eight if someone new wins a championship again. And I think it's so cool that baseball is a crapshoot. The Los Angeles Dodgers have been great. The, the greatest dynasty I've seen in any sport, the Astros, unprecedented levels of greatness the last five years. And it just doesn't matter because baseball is absolutely random and chaotic. And the Atlanta Braves, who I picked to lose in the first round, end up winning the World Series last year. And Jorge Soler and Adam Duvall and half of their starting lineup wasn't even on the team at the trading deadline. And they win because baseball is chaotic and fun. And Kike Hernandez is hitting walk-off home runs. And Morgan from Australia is yelling, Kike, on a podcast. And, and playoff baseball has such high stakes that it gets me excited every single year. And the fact that it's high stakes and I have the storylines that I care about more than any, which like... I can care about the Astros. I can care about the Dodgers. I can care about Aaron Judge and the Yankees. I can care about the Braves. Like, those storylines are interesting. It doesn't matter to me as much as the storyline of the Padres matters. Doesn't matter the way that the Padres storyline matters to me personally. It's why there's a wildcard weekend coming up with a full NFL and college slate, and I'm out here talking about the Padres for 30 minutes on a Friday. And I'm so pumped to watch the Padres play on Friday, play on Saturday, and hopefully get a home playoff game that fans can attend because of the COVID year. Fans can attend for the first time since I was five years old. Since I was five years old, you can go watch a Padres playoff game. That's going to be awesome if they pull it off. And it'll get to be against the Dodgers Oh my god, I would just be a mess for next week. It would be like all Padres on this podcast, because that's the only thing I care about this weekend. The only thing I care about in sports is the San Diego Padres, and that playoff series against the Mets, and we might come back Monday, and it might be over, and we might just have this one podcast to reminisce about. But for 30 minutes, I wanted to, again, talk about what the San Diego sports curse means, what my background comes from, why this podcast exists, and the emotional labor that I've been through, not just in growing to a level of emotional maturity, but divesting myself from sports, because it's giving me a much more healthy and better experience in my life, even as I want to commit years and hours and hours, even though I want to commit thousands of hours of my life to pursue a career in sports in my 20s. Even as I say that, I'm still emotionally divesting from sports. Even as I'm someone who's pursuing a career in sports, I'm still working to emotionally divest myself from sports because it makes me a healthier, more joyful human being with more purpose in my life. And at the same time, I can reinvest that emotional stability right back into a Padres playoff run for one weekend out of the year where I know all the storylines, I know the stakes, and I am ready to watch you, Darvish and Joe Musgrove and Blake Snell and Juan Soto and Manny Machado and Ha Sung Kim and Jake Cronenworth and Josh Bell and Austin Nola, who the Padres gave up three all-star caliber players for as a backup catcher, and Jorge Alfaro and Trent Grisham and Josh Hader and the entire 
Padres Rebellion to come out and kick some ass against the Met Army of Queens, which for those of you who don't know, you're about to find out right now that I love Padres and baseball so much that we made a Star Wars parody anthem talking about the state of Major League Baseball. And this weekend, we got the resistance and the rebellion of the San Diego Padres against Lord against uh, Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. And the winner gets to take on the Holy Dodger Empire. It's Star Wars, it's baseball, and I'm super excited to watch it this weekend. <laughs> Episode 4, The Holy Dodger Empire Continues Their Reign Over the West. In previous years, the Holy Dodger Empire dismantled the once great Royal Cardinals, establishing a new power within the galaxy. The Holy Dodger Empire defeated the Royal Cardinals, invaded the Mill of Waukee, and vanquished the 107-win Giants. In the meantime, the Holy Dodger Empire pillaged both the Purple Rockies and the Backs of Diamond in Arizona. These invasions increased the Empire's wealth tenfold. Their resources are unmatched, their power is unquestioned. With the West and the Central firmly in control, the Holy Dodger Empire sets their sights on a new conquest, the Eastern Empire State. If the Holy Dodger Empire defeats Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, there will be nothing left to stop them from conquering the galaxy. To the south, a small resistance forms in San Diego. While outnumbered and outresourced, the resistance fights for their very existence against the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. It's a changing time in the galaxy. The once great Imperial Nationals of Washington have fallen. Years earlier, the Imperial Nationals once defeated the Holy Dodger Empire at the Battle of Strasbourg. Now, they find themselves bankrupt and selling pieces to the highest bidder. In this collapse, the Holy Dodger Empire captured a great captain known as Mad Max, who helped strengthen the Holy Dodger Empire's hold on the galaxy. However, Mad Max has escaped and defected to Master Cohen and the Met Army of Queens. He will spend whatever years he has left fighting to dismantle the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. And now, the legendary Imperial Captain Juan Soto has joined the Resistance after paying his debt to Kara the Hutt. To San Diego, Captain Juan Soto brings with him the Imperial Nationals' mighty Josh Bell. Joining Captain Soto, is Lord Hader, the supreme closer of the Mill of Waukee, called to fight by the message of the Resistance and the possibility of bringing balance to the Force. The Resistance has paid a heavy price, yet they have never been closer to defeating the Holy Dodger Empire. Well, I was bang this out. Let's do it. We got NFL week five, college football week six here. Brandon Lang, Leaves Gambling Expert, is back. Brandon, what has the last week looked like for you in terms of your wins, some uh, anomalies, things you find interesting? How's it been going? No, we're on a, we're on a nice little tear. You know, it uh, started Monday night with Dallas over the Giants, and we came back with. Cincinnati over Miami and 
big play last Friday night with UCLA outright over Washington. And Saturday, my biggest college play in two years was Kansas plus three and a half over Iowa State. Came back on Sunday with Dallas getting it done um, at home over Washington. And then uh, got on the wrong side Monday night of uh, uh, Frisco and the Rams, but came back last night with, with uh, Central Florida over SMU. So five straight college winners, six and one over on my last seven. And, you know, you do that at BrandonLang.com. People start coming, people start buying, people start getting on board. And, you know, I go on massive winning streaks. I go on bad losing streaks. I mean, that's one thing about me. I'm honest. And, and I talk about losing just as much as I talk about winning because you got to be transparent and honest with your with your people. Um, but I get on these roles like this and it's, uh, it could go for a while. So that's kind of what I'm known for. So like what I'm seeing on the board this weekend, both college and pro and, you know, just trying to, just trying to keep it going, brother, just trying to keep it going. Well, you mentioned two teams from last week that play each other this week. That's the Cowboys and the Rams. It's supposed to be America's game of the week. Uh, I've been kind of surprised by the Rams because they don't look as daunting as they had the last year and, and a little bit the year before that. They're still five and a half point favorites against the Cowboys. What do you make of the the start the Rams have had and uh, the Cowboys winning three in a row? No offensive line, bro. No offensive line. You can't protect the quarterback in the NFL. You don't have some problems. It's not, it's not an accident. Matthew Stafford's got four touchdown passes and six touchdowns. Pressure, I call it PP. Pressure equals problems. Pressure equals problems. It doesn't matter how good your offensive scheme is. It doesn't matter how good your weapon if you don't have time to throw or you're feeling that pressure, you're going to make mistakes. Stafford's always been that kind of quarterback. He's forcing things and making mistakes. The pick six was God awful by him for a veteran quarterback to not see that safety, that corner jumping, jumping the route. So you can't protect the quarterback. All Cooper Cush's cup shown you he can win and he wins. He wins solid, does the right thing, makes the right play, doesn't force anything. Three comebacks and a wire to wire uh, win against Washington, 4-0 straight up, 4-0 against the spread. So there's no way. Dallas leads the league in sacks for a reason. The center for the Rams is off the practice squad. I mean, come on, bro, and you're laying more than a field goal here? I just don't see it. I think Dallas goes in here, stands toe-to-toe. wouldn't surprise me if Dallas wins the game outright, which, by the way, they're 5-1 against the spread against opponents coming off a Monday night game. And they're eight and two against the spread in their first of consecutive away games. I'll take Dallas plus five and a half all day long. What do you make of the Eagles taking on the Cardinals this week? I've seen lines go in all sorts of different directions in that game. I think it's a flat spot for the Eagles. You know, you win a big comeback win against Jacksonville, go all the way out to Arizona on the road, and then you got a Dallas Cowboy Monday night affair waiting for you. Arizona's 6-0 against the spread. Their last six games against the NFC East are 6-0 against the spread. Game four or later versus undefeated foes. And, of course, right before they take on Dallas, as I said with the look ahead, Eagles 0-4 against the spread their last four. I will tell you what, give me Arizona plus the points all day long. I'm seeing five and a half some places. You can get it anywhere up to a touchdown at this point. Looks like the Cardinals might be uh, in for a turnaround win of some sorts. Uh, Bengals play the Ravens this week. What do you make of that game? The Ravens right now, I see, are three-point favorites. Ravens have absolutely owned them, won five of the last six. But when Cincinnati is seeking double revenge against a football team, they are 12-1 and one against the spread their last 13. When seeking double revenge, they're 12-1 and one against the number their last 13. Make sure you buy the half point, spend the minus 130, get the Bengals plus three and a half, because I feel worst case scenario, 
this game is a field goal game. Cincinnati's got the number ranked uh, defense in the NFL with points allowed, number 11 overall in yards allowed. And you're not going to blow them out. So I'm going to take Cincinnati plus three and a half. And then Raiders play the Chiefs on Monday. Is that something you're interested in? You lose with Mahomes before you try to win with Carr. You lose with Mahomes before you try to win with Carr. As simple as that. You don't sit there and take a shot on Carr on Monday night. Hope he plays great. Hope he makes the right play. Hope he does the right thing. Yes, they won their last year in the regular season. But in Monday night action for his career, Mahomes is 6-1 and one straight up, 6-1 and one against the spread. I'm telling you right now, you literally lose with Mahomes before you try to win with Carr. And I think the Chiefs have like the third largest spread of the week, which I know the Raiders have had a tough start to the season, but like the Raiders, the Raiders being one in three while like the Giants are three and one feels like it's a little bit of an anomaly. Like the Raiders haven't been that bad, but I think it's just a testament to the Chiefs that they're, you know, seven and a half point favorites. I just think it's the history. You know, Chiefs have won five of the last six. Average margin victories, 22 points. They went out to L.A. after getting beat at home last year and blew out the Raiders wire to wire. Um, again, there, there are certain situations when you're a handicapper or you're a sports better where how are you going to feel after the game if you lost the game? If you go with Derek Carr and he implodes like he's been known to do. Listen, Raiders should have beat the Chargers. Next week, they should have beat Arizona. They did win last week over Denver. By all rights, they probably should be three and one. I mean, that's 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 a, a legitimate statement. So the fact that they they're where they're at now is Carr three picks against the Chargers, three picks against um, Arizona. Uh, you just can't trust him. And like I said, Mahomes on Monday night six and one straight up, six and one against the spread. Lose with Mahomes before he takes a shot with Carr. What are your what are your best college football picks for the week? LSU over Tennessee. I just don't get it. I mean, I know there's a lot of hype about USC, uh, a lot of hype about Tennessee and how good they're doing and they're, everyone's high on them and Josh Heupel and that offense and blah, 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 blah. When I give you this stat. You're going to go B-Lang. You never cease to amaze me. When the Vols are coming off a win as a favorite, in other words, when both teams, the matter their opponent is, when both teams are coming off of a favorite win, in their last game, not even a win, when both teams are coming in having been favored and favored in their previous game, the Vols are three and eleven straight up, one and thirteen against the spread. And if the Vols face an opponent that was favored in their last game out of the SEC conference, one and nine straight up, zero oh and ten against the number. LSU at home plus three. Don't be surprised. LSU wins the game outright. It seems like a classic trap game, right? Tennessee's in the top 10, but most people don't think of Tennessee as a top 10 team in the country. And this is the part of the year in college football where we realize nobody's actually as good as we think they are. No, not at all. And then I like Washington State plus the 12 over USC. They're 7-0 and against the spread on the road against double-digit unbeaten favorites. Let's make that 8-0 and against the spread. And then last but not least, the other dog I like, Iowa State to bounce back over Kansas State. Iowa State probably should have beat Kansas. As I said, Kansas, biggest play of the year, plus three and a half, got there for me, although it was the sweat job of all sweat jobs. I think Iowa State comes back home, bounces back, and gets the job done over K-State. Iowa State plus the two.
See, that one I feel like is closer than I would have thought. And maybe that's just because Kansas State has had a couple of big wins and they've jumped in the top 25 and such. But I mean, I would have thought K-State would have been a bigger favorite going into that game. I just feel that Mr. Martinez is due for that bad game like he had multiple games at Nebraska. That bad game is coming, bro. It's coming, and I think it happens against that Iowa State defense on the road on Saturday. Do you do anything with Texas A&M and Alabama this week? Giant spread, no. general point spread. I'm leaving, I'm leaving Jimbo and, and Nick alone. They can go <laughs> have some fun on Saturday afternoon. I, I, you know, again, three games I give you, I really, really think we got the right side of the game and, and, and we're in, we're in real good shape. I looked at that. It would listen. It wouldn't surprise me if A&M covered that game because their defense can show here offensively. They may struggle. I do like the under in that game more than anything else, but I just think that that's a game you leave alone and set back and watch and, and kind of just go, wow. Cause if, he blows out A&M. If Nick blows out Jimbo, there's going to be some people getting a little nervous in A&M. The contract, the money gave him, and he just hasn't got them over the hump yet. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to give him that extension last year, but he beat Bama, and so all of a sudden he's worth the giant extension that they gave him. Unreal. Beat him once? Bro, beat him once? I get it. Show me you can beat him twice before I give you the kitchen sink. You understand know yeah. what I'm saying? Just, <laughs> just beat him twice. A lot of guys can beat him once. You can't beat him twice. They, they jumped the gun there. They jumped the gun. Like Kirby Smart, okay. Kirby beat him, Kirby beat him in the regular season a couple years ago, then took him to the wire in the national championship game. Then last year they got Kirby in the regular season, but Kirby got him in the national championship game. Kirby's shown he can beat him multiple times. Jimbo hasn't shown that. I think it was a waste of money. And they also lost to Mississippi State two years in a row. And that's incredibly yep, funny absolutely. to me. Absolutely. Now, me too. That is Brandon Lang. Everybody check him out at brandonlang.com. There's a link in the description to this episode with his website and his picks. Uh, he's going to keep joining us throughout the football season. Brandon, thank you again. Got it, man. Thanks, bro. Have a good weekend.